Well, would you turn with me this morning to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians, actually, Galatians chapter 4. I'm getting ahead of myself. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 12 today. What a wonderful book, the book of Galatians. Christianity and the Christian life, and I hope we're understanding this from the text that we've been studying, is all about Christ. It's all about Christ. It's about me learning to say yes to Him and you, all of us, and letting Jesus be Jesus in us. Letting Him be the life in us, manifesting His character through us. Let me introduce you this morning to Edgar. Somebody gave me this years ago, and I said, what am I going to do with it? I can't cook. I can't even boil water. Uh, Jim said he's going to teach me how to grill, but he hadn't done that yet. So I haven't done anything with this. However, it serves as a great illustration. You know, Edgar, Edgar, I want you to say hello to all these people out there because you know uh, they're our friends, and would you just say yes to, hi to them and say something to them? Just wiggle a little bit. Would you do that? Well, Edgar, you're just not very helpful. Just do something. Make a noise. Can you make a noise? Isn't it interesting that a person without Jesus Christ is about like that? You put a law over it, it can't even respond. It has no clue what to do. But I'll tell you what, you put a little life inside of Edgar. Just put a life inside of Edgar. Edgar, would you say something to these people? Oh, hey, how y'all doing? Boy, it just, it just does all kinds of things now, doesn't it? Well, now it's amazing. You know what we just learned? It's not about Edgar, is it? It's not about Edgar, is it? Edgar can't do a thing. He can't do a thing. It's all about the life that is in Edgar. That's what Paul's trying to get across in the book of Galatians. We don't need Edgar to teach us that. The book of Galatians teaches us that. We need to understand that the Christian life is not me trying to do anything for God. It's letting God do something in and through me. And what is it that unlocks that door? What is it that releases the presence and the power of God in all of our lives that are believers? It's one word, and it's the word faith. Faith unlocks the door to all the blessings that we already have in Christ Jesus. Faith is allowing Him and His Word to dwell richly within our lives. It's not a performance mentality. It's not this mentality that says if I go to church this many times and if I study my Bible this much and if I give out this many tracts, these many tracts, then somehow I can prove myself to be spiritual. That's religion. That's a performance mentality. No, sir. It's Edgar. It's saying, Lord, I can't do it, but you can, and I'm willing to cooperate with you in all ways. I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to bow before you and then letting Jesus be Jesus in us. That's the subject of the whole book of Galatians. And Paul takes this subject of faith, which is the key that unlocks the door, and he weaves it all the way through the six chapters of Galatians. It's not maybe the main theme, but it's one of the main themes. And just for a second, in fact, a brief one, I want to show you how he weaves this thought through Galatians. In fact, in every chapter, he does the same thing just a little different way. In chapter 1, verse 23, he gives his testimony. And in giving his testimony, he talks about how the believers back when he was saved were talking about him. Many of the believers had never met him. They'd only heard about him. But this is what they began to say once the message got around that he had become a believer. And in verse 23 of chapter 1, but only, Paul says, they kept hearing. And here's what they kept hearing. 
he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. (laughs) The term, the faith, covers it. That became his message. Here's a man that lived religiously most of his life, and now he's a believer. It was faith that received the Lord Jesus into his heart, became a believer. But it's also faith once you have become a believer. Paul wrote Colossians. In Colossians 2, 6, he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus by faith, so walk you in him by faith. That's his message. And this message began to identify who Paul was even to those early believers. Now, certainly faith in Christ is the way to salvation. And Paul rehearses this for Simon Peter in chapter 2 and verse 16. He has to get right in his face. He has to remind him that that it wasn't works of the law that saved them. It was only faith in Jesus Christ. And in verse 16 of chapter 2, he says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified, that word means saved. He's not saved by the works of the law. There's not anything he can obey to attain salvation, but through faith in Christ Jesus. He had to remind Simon Peter of that. But then, on the other hand, in chapter 2, he also shows that it's faith after you get saved, that which is his message. He says in verse 20, the clearest statement about what the Christian life is that, that you can find anywhere. He says in verse 20 of chapter 2, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, and I love this, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in this same body I had before I got saved, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Now, to understand faith, we have to realize that faith allows no confidence whatsoever to be placed into the flesh. There's no confidence at all can be put into our flesh. Wouldn't it have been wonderful when all of us were growing up and we were in churches, if you, if you grew up that way, and you were in committee meetings and they thought, what can we do for God? How can we help Him out? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have understood this truth? Because, you see, there's nothing we can do for Him other than surrender to Him. He doesn't want our abilities. He wants our availability to Him. So in chapter 3, he quizzes the Galatians, the foolish Galatians. And he wants to make sure that they rethink what they have done. They've gone back up under religion. And he says in verse 2 of chapter 3, this is the only thing I want to find out from you, Paul says. I only have one question of you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? And, of course, the answer was clear. They knew that the law had never done anything for them. They remembered the day when they bowed in in total desperation, seeing themselves as sinners. They remember receiving Jesus into their hearts. And so Paul asked them now in in verse 3, Are you so foolish, he says, having begun by the Spirit? You remember what it was like. You were desperate. You couldn't save yourself. If you had begun that way, are you now being perfected? by the flesh. And in that phrase, he shows you the enemy to faith. The enemy to faith, to living by faith, is the flesh. The flesh will be religious. The flesh will pray. It'll sing. It'll do whatever you want it to do as long as you let it rule and reign your life. And he said that is the enemy to the living, the Christian life, to letting Jesus live his life through us. 
Now, to strengthen his argument, he starts back with that salvation again by faith. And he goes to Abraham, and he says in verse 6 of chapter 3, Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He takes them right back to their hero, to Abraham. And then he opens the subject up to believers, Jew and Gentile. And he makes a powerful statement in verse 7 of chapter 3. He says, Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith, who are out of faith, who originate out of faith, nothing else, he says, are the sons of Abraham. But then he shows, you see, he's doing the same thing. He shows that salvation's by faith, proving it through Abraham. And then he turns right around and shows that once you get saved, that's the only way to live and to enjoy the relationship. In chapter 3 and verse 11, he says, Now that no one is justified or saved by the law before God, it's evident. And then he says, For the righteous man, the one who's already saved, shall live by faith. And he quotes out of Habakkuk chapter 2. He said, It's always been this way. And then in verse 26 of chapter 3, he moves it to an entirely different level. And look what he says here. He says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You you have entered into the adult position of sonship in Christ Jesus. This is your position in Him. You're no longer children under the law. You are sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And in chapter 4, what He does, and we saw the beginning of it last week, we saw verses 1 through 7. And what he's doing there is to try to show the immaturity of anybody who lives religiously as opposed to those who walk in the adult privileges of sonship. And his point is, if it was faith that caused you to receive this position, it's only by faith that you can enjoy this position. In other words, if a person's not going to walk in the intimacy of a relationship, confessing his sins, making sure the blood daily is cleansing him, a person who's saying yes to God and yes to his word moment by moment by moment by moment, then he only has one other choice, and that's to walk by after the flesh. And the flesh cannot produce what only faith can. Faith causes us to enter that which we already have in Christ Jesus. In fact, what Paul does, he compares their, a principle of their day. And he shows how a son, a child, at some point in his life, whether it be Roman culture, Grecian culture, Jewish culture, entered into a time of adulthood, the rite of passage. That's when he became an adult. And there was a celebration for that particular time. And he compares that practice that they understood culturally, he compares that to the spiritual coming of age, which is salvation. He says in verse 1 of Galatians 4, Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he's owner of everything, but he's under guardians and managers until the date set by the father. So also we, while we were children, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. Paul said there was a time that we were just like those children. There was a time when we were under the ABCs of what he would call religion. And he said that that religion may have helped us. It may have governed some of our external behavior, but it couldn't change us from the inside out. And the word elemental there means the ABCs. What he's saying is a person who puts themselves under law has put themselves back up under immaturity. And in verse 4 he says, But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. 
so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. You see, he forgave us of all of our sin. Jesus had to come and pay the price on the cross before salvation could be completed. And once now, we live in that new covenant. And he says, we used to be children. And we used to be up under the rules and the regulations, whether we rebelled against them or whether we sought to live after them. But he says, one day when Jesus came, he birthed us into the family of God. And then in verse 6, he says, because you are sons, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And that's that little word we looked at last week, Daddy, Daddy, Papa. It's a precious, tender word that we have in our relationship with the Father that under the law you do not have. When a person's under the law and living after his own flesh, then he's under a curse. He's put himself there, and there is no forgiveness in the law. There is no forgiveness in the law. However, when a person's under grace and he chooses to walk and live that way, he can cry out when he fails because he's not going to be condemned. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And he can cry out, Abba, Father, I have failed again. And God immediately surrounds him and the forgiveness is his and he can stand up and continue to walk in the newness of life that God gives to him. We don't have that under law. We have that under grace. Now, technically, positionally, it's always ours, but we can refuse it when we choose to do things our own way. One of the beautiful things about my children, and they're in their 30s, when they will call me and they're hurting, that's not beautiful, but when they call me, they say, Daddy. They always say, Daddy. If, it's, if they're not hurting, it's Dad, and that's more respectful and that's more adult. But when you're hurting, you cry out for daddy. You cry out for daddy. And that's what you have in the relationship. If I choose to walk by faith, I enter into the fullness of that relationship. Even though positionally I've always had it, I get to enjoy it for myself. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, prove for yourself what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then in verse 7, the apostle affirms our sonship. And he calls us heirs. You have to be in a family to be an heir. He says, therefore, you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then you're an heir through God. Now, I want you to think with me because Paul's trying to get the Galatians to think. Let's think with him. What are the implications of that statement? You're no longer slaves. You're no longer slaves, but you are sons with full privileges in the family of God. You see, if you're not enjoying that, perhaps you have to be taught it and you still don't know it. Even though it's true, we still haven't grasped it. Once we are free from the bondage to the law, we're free from slavery, we have to learn to live by faith because it is faith that appropriates what is already ours in the Lord Jesus. You know what the Galatians did? They dropped out of the school of grace and they enrolled, re-enrolled into the kindergarten of law. That's exactly what they did. And how many times in our life have we all done the same thing? When we choose not to live in that intimacy of a relationship, we choose not to say yes to God. We choose not to let His Word totally affect our behavior in our life. We choose to enroll one more time in the school of, of the law, the kindergarten of law. We have a choice today. We have a choice to live as a slave, and we have a choice to live as a son. Slaves have no relationship with the father, and they have no relationship with the family. Only by faith do we enjoy those relationships. Even though technically, positionally, they're ours, we don't enjoy them unless we are willing to live by faith. And this begs the question that I'm going to address today in verses 8 through 12. And here's the question. 
Are you this morning, now draw a circle around yourself and forget that anybody else is here, but just draw that circle and say, are you, am I living as a slave or am I living as a son? Have I chosen to say yes to God? Have I chosen to lay everything down and just let Jesus be Jesus in my life? Or have I chosen not to go that route? Am I living as a slave or am I living as a son? And there are three things that are a downside of living as a son that Paul addresses the Galatians with that I want us to understand this morning. Three things in verses 8 through 12. First of all, we want to see the frustration of being a slave. Now, Paul has to take them back and remind them where they used to be. What is it like to serve a master, a, a God, little g, that is helpless and uncaring? You see, my flesh cares about nothing but itself. And when I choose to do things my way, I step outside of the compassion and the presence and the power of God. What is it like to serve as a slave rather than to live as a son? And Paul takes the Galatians back to their pagan past. He takes them back to when they were sinners, totally in bondage to the, to the law, whatever law that was, the, the condemnation of the law. In verse 8 of chapter 4, However, at that time, Paul says, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. Now, what he's talking about, he says, when you did not know God, refers back to when, when they didn't, well, were not believers. Uh, it wasn't talking about when they didn't know about God, really, but he's talking about the, they knew about him, but he's talking about when they didn't know him intimately. He uses a particular Greek word here. It's ida. O-I-D-A. Some people pronounce it oida. It depends on how you learned it. But it means to intuitively know someone. A little baby intuitively knows the sound of his mother's voice. It's something intuitive. He doesn't have to go to school to learn it. It's something that's given to him. This is the, verse, this is the word used in Romans 8, 28. For we know that God causes all things. It's something that's intuitive. You don't have to be taught this. And he's referring back then to a time that they had never come to intuitively or divinely perceive who the Lord Jesus Christ truly is. He says, however, at that time when you did not know God, that time refers to that pagan past when they used to live as slaves to their flesh. Paul takes them back to that terrible, terrible time. However, at that time when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. Now, Paul points here to the gods that they used to serve, and he puts it in the plural. We only have one God, but he says the flesh has many gods, little g, g-o-d-s, little gods. He takes them back to the days of living in bondage, and if you have ever studied their culture, going back to the days of superstition and slavery. They had some of the weirdest philosophies. The world came to a being by a giant egg that hatched, and, and people came from that. I mean, you, you wouldn't believe some of the things they believed back when they were pagans and the gods that they served. He says, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. Now, to make this practical and to help us understand it, an idol or a god a false god, is anything that comes from man. We've got to understand, there's only one true God. So anything else that a person chooses to worship comes from man. It's from man's creativity, from man's mind. In fact, Acts chapter 17 and verse 29 really nails this. It says, being then the offspring of God, he speaks to believers, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold 
or silver or stone. Their gods were made out of all three of those things. An image, listen, an image formed by the art, the creativity, and the thought of man. Any idol, doesn't matter what it is, comes from man. If we, if we believe God, it's something totally, entirely different. He says, to those which by nature are no gods. The word for nature is the word phusis. And phusis is the word that means did not have any origination from God. It's used in Galatians 2.15 when Paul says, we are Jews by nature. And he says, those gods you served back before you came a believer, they didn't have any nature of God in them. There was nothing divine about them. Now, you have to, you have to stop and think. Paul doesn't b- become very specific here. If they were Jewish mindset of the Galatians, maybe it was the 613 laws that man added to the Mosaic law. And perhaps that became their God. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Back when you used to let the law be your master. Or to the pagan Gentile in Galatia, he could be referencing thousands of pagan idols that they had. But how does that relate to you and me in the 21st century? And I'll tell you what it is. Anything that, that, that's an idol is nothing more than pure flesh. And if we want to put it in simplistic terms for us today to get anything out of what Paul is saying here, he's saying, remember when you were lost and you used to serve the idols that your flesh came up with? whatever that was. Maybe it was your job. Maybe it was power. Maybe it was money. Maybe it was something else. But you were a servant before you got saved to some kind of pagan idol. And he's wanting to identify what those things are as to, as to their character. He says, to those which by nature were no gods. And the word gods is the word theos. And theos is that beautiful word for God that we see in Scripture, the divine personality, the divine power, the divine passion. He says anything that you have ever served other than God has no divine personality, no divine power, and no divine passion in it. Why would you ever want to yield to anything other than the one who is the true God? Anything that the flesh can come up with, whatever it is, has no divine power, personality, or passion. So when the Galatians were lost, they were, they were frustrated. They couldn't, they couldn't receive anything from these gods because those gods couldn't give them anything back. They had no divine personality. There was nothing in what they served to give them any fulfillment whatsoever. Now, why does Paul bring this up? Because these are saved believers. He brings it up because the Galatian believers had chosen, rather than to walk in the fullness of the promises, Rather than to enjoy the full adult privileges of being intimate with the Father and walking daily with Him, they have chosen to go back to what their flesh has come up with. They have chosen what can give them nothing but despair, frustration. Paul has been there before himself, and he says, Why, why would you go back to a slavery that you've been set free from? And verse 9 says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God? How is it that you turn back to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You know, if I could get inside of Paul's brain, what he's saying is, it's literally insane. It's insane for a believer to deny the fullness of what God offers him in Christ and to choose anything else that he, he becomes a servant you say, Wayne, I would never do that. I mean, come on, Wayne, you're talking to the, to the best folks here. Well, now, wait a minute. Don't be too quick with that. I had a pastor call me several months ago. 
Denominationalism to some people is an idol. It's an idol. I want to tell you, folks, I am Baptist. I was Baptist born, Baptist bred, went to Baptist schools and Baptist fed all the way my life. I just want you to know that. I'm not anti-anything. I'm pro-Jesus. And wherever he's been in the front, that's fine with me. If the, if the denomination agrees with that, good. If it doesn't, fine. I'm going the other way. But I want to tell you something. To some people, that has become an idol. Let me show you how. This pastor called me and said, we want to support some missionaries in our church. He said, these missionaries are not Southern Baptists. I said, so what? And he said, no, no, you don't understand. We took it before a committee, and the committee said, we can't do that because we're Southern Baptists, and we only support Southern Baptists. And then the statement the pastor says, Wayne, where's the Holy Spirit in all of this? And I said, I had to say back to him, they've locked him in a closet because they have chosen to serve those idols. This is a subtle thing, folks. This is a subtle thing. Let me ask you a question. Are you living as a slave or are you living as a son? If you're living as a son, the character of Jesus, like in Edgar, is being manifested in your life. He's motivating your life. He's moving your life. He's presenting his presence in your life. If you're not, you've got something you've attached yourself to and chosen to become its slave. And it's what's driving you. It's what's framing your mindset. It does everything for, against relationships. That's what Paul's trying to get across to the Galatians. He's not down on them. He's frustrated. He's trying to get them back to the place that God would have them to be. The frustration of being a slave. I've been there. I understand it. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. I've got four pointing right back at me. Everybody in here has been there at least once this past week. If you haven't, then you can not say with Paul, I have not yet arrived. Nobody's arrived in this yet. But it's good for us to understand the stupidity of the choices that we make. I know I've got a Ph.D. in how to make do stupid things. The second thing, the frustration of choosing to be a slave. You say, Brother Wayne, if we knew you that way, we would have never asked you to be our preacher. Well, if I knew what was going on in here, I probably wouldn't have bothered coming. So just, just, just clone down. <laughs> Let's just all get gut honest here. The foolishness of choosing to be a slave. Not only the frustration, you can never get out of it what you're looking for. It can't offer you anything. It has nothing of God in it. But he said now the, frust the, the foolishness of choosing to be a slave. The Galatians were not slaves because somebody made them be. They were slaves because they chose to be. Now that is the height of stupidity. When I was in Romania once, I, I said to some precious Romanians, I said, I'm so sorry that they forced you into this communism. And they looked at me very sheepishly and almost as though the blood had drained out of their face. And I said, did I say something wrong? And they said, Wayne, don't you know? And I said, evidently not. They said, we were not forced into communism. We voted it in. We made the choice. We chose the slavery that we've been under for all these many Years. That's what the Galatians did. That's why Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, Oh, foolish Galatians, what are you doing? He said to them. Verse 9, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again. Now, the phrase at the end of that verse governs the whole verse. We have to understand that before we can go back and start at the beginning. To which you would desire to be enslaved all over again. Now, that's the key thought. The word desire is the word telo, uh, T-H-E-L-O, you see on the screen. 
You choose to continue desire because it's in the, a tense that's present active. You're choosing. You're choosing as I write, Paul said. Your constant choice is you desire to be enslaved again. It means that you have every intention of doing it. That word, uh, fellow, means a, a, a conviction. I mean, it's an intense word. I'm going to do this, bless God, and nobody's going to stop me. And that's the attitude that he's referring to right here. I'm going to expel all energy that I have to go this particular route rather than walk with God. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. That's the word desire. And that phrase governs the verse. And now if you take that, let's start back at the beginning of the verse and see what, what he's talking about here. He says, but now that you have come to know God. See, he's contrasting something here. Come to know God. The word for knowing God is to experience him. Gnosko. It's a different word than what we saw earlier. It means to know him by experience. And it's in the aorist tense. And it's, 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 it's act, it means there was a time when an event took place in your life. You experienced God. You knew him the very moment you bowed in faith before him. That was a knowing of God. Isn't that awesome? I got to tap in to experience actually the God that created the air that I breathe. I got to know him and experience him the moment I bowed and received him as my Savior. It was an established fact that they had experienced God as salvation. So he's just documenting that. You're believers, but let me talk to you as believers, he says. But quickly he changes it from us knowing God to God knowing us, which puts salvation in its proper perspective. There's no such thing as us seeking after God. God's always been seeking after us. He says, but now that you've come to know God, and look what he says, or rather to be known by God. And he puts that in the passive voice. And what he's saying here is God has known us since before the foundations of this world. That truth continues to overwhelm me. He knew everything about Wayne. Wayne could not do anything today that he wasn't already aware of. He knows my thoughts before I think them. He knows the words before they ever come out of my mouth. He knows what I'm going to do, and yet he still loved me and knew me. That's a very intimate word, far beyond anything I can explain. He has fully known us, and he has desired that we come to know him. And you see, when we came to know him, his knowing us, it all became a completed cycle. And that's what he's been about. All, all, he brought, finally completed it. He brought us into the family. He wanted us to be, you know, if you think about it, he wanted us to be free from sin before the foundations of the world. He wanted us to walk in that beautiful relationship before the foundations of this world. He knew that man would sin, but he also knew that Jesus would come and die as our Redeemer upon the cross. And he wanted us to be a part of the family. He wanted us to be able to cry out, Abba, Father. And he's reminding those Galatians of that. With this in mind, then he says, after you... You have come to know him, but he knew you long before that. And now that the cycle is complete, now that you're in the family, look what he says. How is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? Wow. To go back to the weak and worthless thing. Now, we've already determined that elemental means, ABCs, means religion. And we're going to show that even more clearly now in just a second. Why would you go back to religion, which requires performance, and performance is nothing that God accepts? Why would you go that route, he said. And then he, he sums up all religion and everything that it involves in one phrase. He says, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and to the worthless elemental 
things. He uses two words that sums it all up. The word for weak is the word asthenis, asthenis. It's the word which means it has no strength, it has no inherent power. Have you, ever th- try, have you ever tried to go back to some religious performance mentality and realize there's nothing here? You can have your quiet time till you fall over in the floor. But if you're not there to meet God out of love for Him, it's not going to do a thing in the world for you but just suck some time out of your life. That's all it's going to do. You can give your tithe to the church and your giving, and you can do that and do that and do that. It can become so mechanical, all you end up is broke. It hadn't done any good. It's weak. It's not in the doing. He said the doing is not the key. It's the becoming. And he says all religion offers is weak. And then secondly, he says it's worthless. And the word worthless is the word tohos. Tohos is the word for someone who is absolutely and totally helpless. It's a beggar. It's somebody lying on a stretcher that can't even move. It's the word God uses in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, tohos. It's the word that means you're helpless. And he says, you want to go back to the flesh? Do you really want to just play church? Do you want to see if you can come up with a good opinion as to what the church ought to be? He's saying this to the Galatians. This is a religious, this is a Christian context here. Do you want to go back and offer your ideas to God, or do you want God to offer His ideas to you? Your ideas, your religion, your system, your rules, your regulations. He says all that is, they're weak and they're worthless. And you have desired. (laughs) It blows me away. You have chosen. You have committed yourself to going back to the very thing Jesus has freed you from. Well, in verse 10, he tells us what those ABCs were, and we see that it is religion. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Now, as a former Pharisee, Paul identified with these very quickly. Because remember, the deceiving people that had come amongst them were Judaizers, the Mosaic Law, the ceremonial, etc. They, they had come to put this back on these Galatians, and the Galatians had foolishly bought it. See, the ter- in that terminology, in that vocabulary, the days and the months, seasons and years would most likely be Jewish terms. The term days would refer then to Sabbath days, to feast days, to the fast days. The term months would refer to the harvest celebration, such as the month of Abib, when the corn was finally ripe. On the 16th day of the month of Abib, the harvest would take place. On the 17th day, the first fruits would be offered unto the Lord. Seasons would be seasons such as the Passover season or Pentecost or Tabernacles, and it would mark specific events in the history of Israel that they would set aside as holy days. The term years would be such things as the sabbatical year, the seventh year, or the year of Jubilee, which would be the 50th year. Now, you see, many of those Pharisees had observed every one of those things during their, their lifetime. And yet they had no life in them whatsoever. It's like a lot of people today, they can come to church, they can, they can give to the church, they can not miss anything for a whole year. Back when I was growing up, they had attendance pins, and some people would trip over them as they walked through the door. They've never missed a time. And they're spiritual, yet they're the meanest people in the whole church. It hadn't done them any good, and that's what he's trying to say. You want to go back to that kind of thing? The term, all these terms most likely fit the Judaizers' terms that they had deceived them with in their false doctrine. These Galatians, which Paul calls foolish, or as we could say, (laughs) stupid, had re-enrolled in the kindergarten of the law instead of graduating into the school of grace, learning what grace is and walking in that relationship with Him. 
we have to be careful when we deal with them, however, because every one of us, when we choose our flesh, have just done exactly the same thing. We love to measure what we do. How many did you have in church last week, Wayne, when we had this many? Well, we had this many. Oh, you're more spiritual than we are. And we tend to measure ourselves by the way the world measures it. Brother Roy Heston wrote the Calvary Road, told me one time, he said, Wayne, we're preaching the same message in England. You're preaching over here. We're losing people. You're gaining people. Which one of us is doing it right? And the point was well taken. When God does something, you can't measure it. You don't know exactly what he's doing. You just let him do it. But you see, when we get back up into that mindset, that's what kills us. That's what robs us of the intimacy of relationship we can have with Christ. But the utter foolishness of choosing to be a slave. The frustration is not going to provide anything for us. There's nothing divine in it when the flesh. But not only that, the foolishness of it. Why would you choose to go back to something that offers you nothing? And then finally, the feet, the feet of choosing to be a slave. F-E-A-T. <laughs> The feat of choosing to be a slave. What feat does, is accomplished when we choose to go back to slavery? And evidently, this is a real problem because if those believers under Paul had been taught by him could do that, we can certainly do that in our time. What does it accomplish? Well, I want to make sure you understand something. Nothing positive. Nothing positive. But there's one thing that you can always take to the bank that it'll do. And that is, it will absolutely break the heart of anybody who lives and teaches the message of grace. It will break their heart. It broke Paul's heart. It broke his heart. Paul is grieving when he says in Galatians 4.11, I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Back in chapter 3, he says almost the same thing in verse 4. He said, did you suffer so many things in vain? Then he says, as if he stops and rethinks it, he says, if indeed it really was in vain, maybe you didn't come to know Christ to begin with. Maybe everything I taught you just went right over your head, in one ear, one out the other ear. It never lodged. You never received that truth. You never were changed by that truth. I know when I was at Wooden Park and I pastored there, one of the greatest 18 years of my life was at Wooden Park. But the first five years, the people we baptized were not people from off the streets. They were people within the church that thought they were Christians and were not. And God had revealed that to them right there. So I understand that. I mean, it took me by surprise. I stepped back. Because I realized then that you have to have an, a, a, an incubator inside that so loves one another before God's ever going to trust you with, with new converts. You don't go get new converts and put them into a situation that's going to frustrate and kill their walk. Well, in verse 11, I fear for you, he says, that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. The word for fear is the word phobeo. And phobeo means to be terrified, to be terrified. Uh, it's the idea of, of shuddering, of shivering. You're afraid of... Now, Paul never was afraid of the Romans and the domination. He said, to live as Christ dies gain. That doesn't bother me. But what really terrified him and caused him to shudder were the people that sat under his teaching and heard the message of grace and refused it and never heard a word that he said. That's what broke his heart. That's what caused him to shudder. He said, I shudder to think that you've missed this whole thing. Did you, I guess in his mind, he's wondering, did you hear anything that I ever said? I can so identify with that. And sometimes, you know, you, you preach and you, you fall over on the floor and you walk out. Did anybody hear anything that's been said? That's exactly the heartbeat of what Paul's saying. All the labor that he'd given for them. 
in Lystra, he almost died. He was beaten and, and, uh, and, and taken outside the city for, to be dead. I mean, he, he's been through it, preaching the gospel of grace to these people. He was sick unto death when they found him. And it was beautiful, the whole situation, how the Galatian church was, was birthed. But I wonder, I wonder if he would come to church in the 21st century, any given church, ours, whatever, walk in the back door and sit on the back row. I wonder if his epistles are being taught. I wonder if he would say again, did they ever hear anything that I said? Because it bows them to shudder that such a precious jewel of truth could be so callously ignored and walked away from. And in verse 12, I tell you, he's a born-again optimist, and I love that about him. He won't turn it loose. You'll see this again before we finish the, the, the epistle. He says in verse 12, I beg of you, and he's urging them. He wouldn't do this if he didn't know that they couldn't. Become as I am. He says, become as I am. Actually, the, the tense there, present middle imperative, keep become and keep on becoming as I am. And he puts it in a command form. And you know what he's saying here? He's not saying he's not some ego, uh, egotist who's on an ego trip. No, no. What he's saying is, you live like I'm seeking to live. The life I now live, I live by what? By faith in the one who loved me and delivered himself up for me. He says, become and keep on becoming as I am. Don't look at me, but look at the faith that God is, is encouraging within my heart. You look, pursue your relationship with him. I guess that comes back to the question and my time's up. <laughs> I, I feel like in every service, I'm glad to get to heaven when there's no clocks. There won't be any clock-eyed Baptists up there either. <laughs> but let me ask you a question this morning. It, it begs to be asked. It begs to be asked. You say, Wayne, you've got an agenda. No, I do not. Before God, I do not. I'm just trying to tell you what Paul's trying to tell them, and he's trying to tell us today. And here's what it is. Are you living as a slave, or are you living as a son? Only by faith can you live as a son, which means this book right here is going to become your spiritual refrigerator. You live out of it. It dictates your thoughts. It renews your mind so God can transform your life. If you love Him, you love His Word. And then you begin to enter into what is already yours in Christ Jesus, the life comes inside of you. And now there's things that you can do that you couldn't do before, not because of you, but because of the life that's inside of us. This ought to be the magnet that draws everybody in Albuquerque to what we have right here. We have Jesus living in us. And when they see us living after the flesh, they'll walk away so fast it'll make your head swim. They say, I have that misery in the world. Why do I want to come to the church and get it? That's the question. Are we living as slaves? Or are we living as sons? You know, when you've lived as a slave for so long, this is the frightening part of it. It's like searing your conscience. We talked about it in another epistle. The Indians had this thing about uh, arrows in your, it being your conscience, uh, and it would turn and would prick you. But the longer you put up with it, the duller the arrows would get, and after a while you became callous to what even was going on in your life. And do you realize that's what can happen? When we choose to walk after the flesh to the point that we become dull of hearing, which was talked about in another epistle in Hebrews, what happens is we don't even hear truth anymore. Truth has no impact on our life. My daddy was on in the Navy. He served in, 
in World War II. I was born in 1943, which I was a war baby. Didn't see him really until 1946. My mama said I was afraid of him. <laughs> he became my best friend after a while. It didn't take long. But my dad was put through a boot camp type of thing. I don't know if they call it boot camp in the Navy, but he was put through a, a camp to train them to, 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 to be on the ship that they were going to be on. He was going to be on a destroyer escort. So they took everybody out of a certain class, cut them out, and my daddy was with them because they would also go on that, some ship together so they'd know each other, they could function well together. It came time for them to be put on a ship, and the commander said to my dad, said, Dad, I mean, not Dad, Claude. <laughs> he said, Claude, that was his name, Claude Clifton Barber. He said, Claude, he says, you've been put on Destroyer Escort 575, and you have one other classmate, but the rest of your classmates have been put on Destroyer Escort 573. He said, this is not normal. I'm sorry, but only two of you will know each other on this other ship, whereas your whole class will be on this other Destroyer Escort 573. My daddy was in the engine room. They were in a fleet escorting some big battleship somewhere in the Pacific. And they said a submarine shot a torpedo, and it went underneath my dad's ship and didn't hit them, but it hit Destroyer Escort 573. And one of the pieces of the story is, before that happened, the guy that was with him fell out of high seas. He didn't strap himself in and hit the cold floor, metal floor, and it killed him. So Dad's the only one on this ship of that class. Everybody else is over here on this ship. And that torpedo hit Destroyer Escort 573. They got as close as they could to try to rescue the sailors. They said the sailors had, had been inside that ship and the smoke had gotten to them and disoriented them. And he said evidently they'd been in it for such a period of time that it so dulled their senses they did, didn't know what to do. And they would come out the doors of the ship and they could see them and they were yelling at them, come on, come on, come on. And they had lifeboats ready to rescue them. But they said they would come out, it totally disoriented, and here's the freedom, here's the freedom. But they turned and walked right back into the fire and every single one of them burned to death on that ship. What are you saying, Wayne? Here's what I'm saying. If we're living as slaves, you better be careful and I better be careful because we become dull of hearing and truth, truth can no longer affect us. And what will happen is in our disorientation, in the dullness of our senses, we'll turn and go right back into that which destroys us. That's why it's so important. Are you living as a slave or are you living as a son? For additional resources or to view our TV program, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.